0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Our Master Cheesemaker Program is one of the only two in the world, so it's no wonder every master in America has called Wisconsin home. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com.
2: Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, October 19th, 2021 and we're recording remotely. We'll be talking uh, with the folks from Industrial Arts Brewing in New York, and then we'll be talking on a, a little larger about uh, local sourcing and craft malt around the country. So let's have everyone introduce themselves. So I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Beer Sessions Radio. And Mike?
3: Hi, my name is Mike McManus, and um, I'm the Director of Brewing Operations at Industrial Arts.
2: Great. Gio? Uh, Gio Wenzel, Uh R&D Brewer at Industrial Arts Brewing Company. All right, man. Thanks for putting the show together, Gio. It's always great to have you on. Yeah, man. Pleasure to be here, of course. Okay. And Phil? Hi,
4: everybody. I'm Phil Newman with Mainstem Malt out of Walla Walla, Washington. And I'm also a director for with the Craft Maltsters Guild.
2: That's
5: great. And Kevin? Hey, Jimmy. Uh, Kevin Kane, beer blogger at Casket Beer and uh, contributor for porchdrinking.com. All right. So
2: um, Kevin, I I think that you've, I I follow your posts on at Beer on Instagram a lot and I love the beers that you're drinking. Uh, I know you've noticed you'd post about some of the industrial arts beers. Uh, I think there was a Hellas lager that you really liked recently.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, well, I mean, I, I really enjoy all of uh, industrials releases, but um, you know, I really connect with a lot of the, the lager uh, type beers and, and, you know, the, there's a lot of seasonality there and there's a lot of, you know, kind of nods to to local local ingredients and things like that, which I think is really cool. Uh and especially with the landscape series, there's also the charitable component. Um so yeah, it's it's all just like kind of like a grand slam for me. And uh so yeah, I'm I'm currently sipping on the the autumn landscape series right now, which is fantastic. This look looks good to me. I wish I had one. I'm gonna get one tomorrow. Um Mike, um
2: you wanna give us a little t- tell us about you're like the Hebrewer, Brewer, there, Um landscape series is is kind of your baby, right? Uh,
3: yeah. So um, I have been working um, to sort of strengthen, working in my own small way to strengthen uh, the New York State supply chain with grain and, and hops for uh, a number of years now, uh, since I've been with industrial arts and a bit before that. Um, Landscapes is a series of uh, basically seasonal beers um, that are brewed with 100% New York State ingredients. Um, and the charity component is that 100% of the profits are donated uh, to local charities. Um, a Couple of them have been the Rockland Farm Alliance um, and the Fresh Air Fund. Um, so really we want to create a positive feedback loop Uh, where we can create uh, beers that are representative of what New York state has to offer, strengthen the supply chain, and also um, give back.
2: Yeah. And and how do you go about, um, you know, tell me about, walk me through the landscape. Is it seasonal? Um, Are you looking to make a beer and then you're sourcing the ingredients or you're starting with the ingredients and then making a beer?
3: Um, we are letting, for the most part, the ingredients drive the beers. Um, so, um, you know, local ingredients afford us the opportunity to have a direct relationship with the, um, in some cases, the farmer, but especially the maltster and the people who grow the hops. Um, <clears throat> so we sort of look at what um, what is available, and then and then tie that to a season. I think the, the first landscape beer we ever conceived of was actually a fermentation forward beer, sort of a um, a saison, um, for lack of a better term. Um, that was a beer that we didn't feel extremely strongly about, and we sort of pivoted to um, conceive of these as lagers, which we think is just a more pure expression of what of the of the malt and hops. Um, not let not letting any fermentation character getting in the way, but just making, uh, some simple balanced, um, beers. Um, and, and uh, to, if if you had told me, you know, 10 years ago that, that a series like this would, would be possible in New York, I, I probably would have said you were crazy, but, uh, we, <laughs> we, we, we've had a really, really good luck, um, you know, making this series successful and making it grow.
2: Yeah. I remember back in 2014, we worked on uh, one of the first like local malt events in, in New York city. And um, your Jeff was, was part of that then. And for, for years afterwards, most of the brewers were, were saying that they really couldn't work with a local hop or malt. And they, and they, I don't, I, I don't think, I'm just curious, like, at what point did industrial arts decide to do some of these special projects? Um, Because you've got so so, so many of your mainstays, like Wrench and everything. Um, Like, is there, do you produce it in the same place? You know, just give me a breakdown of how the operations work um, when you do these special series. And maybe Gio can jump in too, because I feel like Gio, um, are you you developing like your R&D? Are you working on some of the early recipes or what are you doing now? Uh, yeah, I
6: mean, a bit of that, uh, new recipes, um, Mike's, uh, just kind of tasked me too with, uh, kind of, you know, taking another look at our all New York ingredient, uh, hazy IPA, yes, farms, yes, beer, because, you know, as Mike said, like, uh, uh we let a lot of the raw materials do the talking and, you know, hops are different every year. So, uh, after selection this year, we're going to alter that recipe slightly just to kind of showcase the the hops that we rubbed and selected from New York farmers. Uh, so a bit of that, and then I have been incorporating some uh, all New York beers into our state of the art series as well.
2: Oh, that's exciting! Yeah. Um, F- Phil I'm just jumping over to Phil too Phil um, y- you're based out in uh, Washington state but you're, you're sourcing locally in, in different parts of the country um, h- how does this like industrial art stuff fit into the trends that you're seeing Sure yeah well we
4: we had the pleasure of getting to work with industrial arts last year during the pandemic uh, we sent them a wholeless, a barley pilsner malt that was a pretty special malt and, and one of the really one of the first of its kind in, in the country and specifically made uh, for, for brewers. I mean, really it shines uh, for brewers that are, that are using mash filters and, and like not really benefiting from all the extra husk material that, that your standard, um, uh, you know, two row or even six row barley variety, malting barley varieties uh, have. So yeah, it was like innovation brought us together, but, but certainly, and we were able to tie in, um, was, uh, we were Hudson Valley malt and, and they basically, um, uh, you know, received and milled grain for uh, the grain that we sent out for, uh, for industrial arts. But, um, uh, I mean, if I if I had to summarize it, it's it's uh, like there are these all these craft monsters are working a local to regional sourcing model in the various regions around the country. Uh, you know, the northwest has definitely its own scene going on, connecting uh, local regional ag to local to regional uh, brewers and distillers. And then New York State, frankly, was 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 a uh, an early pioneer in like really. Uh, you know, setting setting a regulatory framework and incentive structure for, for brewers in the state and distillers in the state to actually buy local and and like uh, catalyze this this new craft malt segment um, among other local ingredient sources like hops and even uh, like flour and all that. But uh, yeah, anyway, so kind of look to New York State as a, a source of inspiration. Um, we have over the past... Six years or so growing main stem, and this is a really nice opportunity to like kind of cross pollinate both both worlds. And it doesn't make a a whole lot of sense sustainability wise or financially to send craft malt uh, coast to coast regularly. But yeah, we were excited about it to just um, have a chance to work with an innovative new brewery and and um, yeah, just get some get some stories new stories started.
2: Yeah. Geo or Mike, do you guys remember that 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 malt? Oh yeah.
6: We uh yeah, very fondly. We, we love that malt, and yeah, <laughs> Phil, thank you so much for working with us getting that out here. I know it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't easy <laughs> or uh, you know, economically the most economically viable uh malt to use or ship or all that stuff. So I appreciate you working with us on that and uh you were super gracious when you know going into it i knew we this is something we're going to try to to move like this this specific barley variety or type of barley we're going to try to get grown mm. in new york and phil you were great um you know talking with dennis our our local monster about it and giving us some info and uh, obviously some trial brews to kind of get a proof of concept around this uh, naked barley that uh, made an incredible keller pills and uh well, we did a well, hoffy blondale with it as well. So much appreciated, man.
4: Well, thanks for sending out the, the finished beers. They were delicious. And yeah, it's just it's stuff like this. It takes takes a lot of extra effort, but it kind of keeps you keeps you motivated, these special projects.
2: No, this this is cool. This is what I, I love now. I, I love all the craft malt and local ingredients. Um you know what Hudson Valley's malt's been doing? They've been sending malt down the, the Hudson River on a sailboat uh <laughs> i don't know if you've seen that but um just a year ago people thought they were crazy and now i don't know how many breweries from poughkeepsie down to uh brooklyn have been at least bought one one
5: load of malt
2: um, and so he, did, awesome. he
5: delivered them in brooklyn by a, a horse-drawn carriage so there was no uh cars or trucks or anything involved yeah no
2: it's it's, it's quite interesting you know and um mike kevin um Let's talk more about industrial arts because I I know you love them and um I remember it started with this like like the metric pills and and this what was it the the tools what's the tools beer it was the tools the, of the trade the, tools of the trade and you know it it it's I I go everywhere in the whole northeast I I'm, I'm, I'm seeing industrial arts everywhere um is is that what you guys expected, did you, did you expect to, to, to be making this much beer and, and getting the response that, that you have over the years?
3: Um, I think we're, we're really fortunate to be in the position we are in. Um, no, I don't think we, we did not expect to grow this fast. Um, you know, we, we've been brewing for about five months in a brand new, um, a brand new facility in Beacon, New York, so now we're actually operating two breweries. Um, we also did not conceive of making, uh, exactly the beers we're making, uh, now in the beginning. So tools of the trade, which is, um, a really simple, uh, really simple pale ale sub 5% Simcoe, um, some whole cone Chinook and cascade was intended to be our flagship beer. Um, and we were, um, you know, it took us a it took us a while to start making some hazy beer, which is obviously a, a large part of what we do now, and and something that we've um, felt like we've learned a lot in the process. Um, but uh, you know, speaking of the landscape series and the New York State stuff, um, we're 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 looking at at about between four and five percent of our total volume with with that stuff. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's certainly a unique opportunity to know everybody in the supply chain and to try to strengthen it. And um, in, in an environment where, um, where beer uh, is obviously uh, global, its inputs are global and intertwined with so many market forces. Um, you know, we, we've seen what, what can happen with the aluminum supply and CO2. Um, it's, it's, we, we think we're really fortunate to be in the Hudson Valley and to be able to use, um, ingredients grown directly there in many cases.
2: Yeah. Hey, uh, Gio, is it, are you the one who's going and checking out the the different hot farms and, and all that, or is that different people on your team?
6: A bunch of us actually do. I mean, our trip to Yakima this year, uh, was, you know, Mike and I and Jess, who's our head brewer and then, you know, we joined, uh, some other industry friends out there. Um, but yeah, we try to incorporate the whole team as much as possible. And then for the New York selection this year, we were just tight on time. As Mike said, we're, you know, we just built this, this big new brew house and that still has some tending to so Mike and Jess had to stay back. But, uh, um, me, uh, I went up with, uh, a brewer from Garnerville, John Clancy, uh, who's never rubbed hops before. So it's really nice to get, you know, some production staff involved and, you know, start getting their noses trained on, on, on rubbing some hops and that whole experience around evaluating raw materials. Uh, so, yeah. And then we do some remote selection, too. So we were able to get a bunch of brewers uh, from, from beacon involved in the Simcoe Citra and mosaic selection this year as well. So, you know, everyone smells and perceives everything different. So the more noses you have in the room, the more rounded, uh, opinion you can kind of get on, on a. Well, single, that's cool. It's um, also,
2: it's also training then too, isn't it? Always right. Always learning. No, you guys are. And, um, Kevin, back to that autumn landscape. Let's talk about that beer. Um Kevin how does it taste to you? You know tell us what it's like for you and then we'll we'll ask um Mike about how he made it.
5: Yeah, I mean it, it, it's uh you know on the can here it says, you know, beer Lager, so you know you you kind of I don't know if it's intentional that that's supposed to indicate that it's not not quite a marzen, right? So it's it's not um as dark as as a merton Um, it's, it's more like, you know, like a fest beer, uh, and it's got the alcohol. It's just under 6% and it's just got, I mean, the the malt character is just fantastic. You know, the hops are there perfectly and it's in balance with the malt. And, uh, you know, it's something that it's a, it's the kind of beer that works well, like on a warm, you know, early autumn day, but it's also something that like on a crisp cool night around a campfire also hits the spot and um it's one of my you know generally speaking i I love the summer landscape too but but the autumn landscape you know i think you guys over there always seem to 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 nail it for me and and for what i'm looking for this time of year kevin when just you as a
2: consumer when when you drink i know it comes in a nice can do you drink it straight out of the can
5: or do you pour it into a glass and what kind of glass do you use (laughs) well uh so i am i am not a snob at all and i certainly am more than happy to to drink this beer straight from the can um but i am you know a bit of a, a glassware nerd and i love the the willie becker or the the Willy becca and uh so i'm yeah i'm drinking it out of a willie right now uh it's actually from one of my favorite local stores uh beer nog in their their willie becker so is, yeah. it, is that the, the 0.5 liter glass the big one uh, no, this is a little bit smaller. It's it's probably it's probably 0 0.3. Three. point Oh, that's cool. And, and
2: Mike, tell us tell us about this beer, the autumn the autumn landscape fest beer.
3: Sure, uh, we we made a we made a fest beer this year. We made a similar beer uh, year before last. Uh, we took a we took a break from the fest beer last year and made um, our sort of conception of a we call it a New York common a, uh, essentially a steam beer. Uh, but yeah, uh, Kevin's right. This is, um, I think this sort of toes the line between being a Martin and, um, a sort of a Munich style fast beer, but, uh, we sort of conceived it as being, um, export strength Helles, which is shorthand. A lot of people use, um, to describe these beers. It's a 14 Plato beer. Brewed with two row pils, uh, a little bit of Vienna malt and some Munich light Munich, and uh, we use some beautiful uh, New York hops, Crystal, um, some Fuggles from Peterson Farms, and uh, a little dab of Mount Hood. Um, you know, and we're we're just looking to make a, a simple uh, a simple beer that. Um, that you don't really have to fuss over to drink. It's just intended to be balanced and sort of bring you from the the summer into the autumn.
2: Yeah. What, What was the genesis of the landscape series? Well, it was our,
3: uh, we wanted to make a commitment. So we sort of wanted to hold ourselves to, um, to, to doing this, to, to really, um, uh, being a part, um, in strengthening the supply chain. So, um, we, you know, it's sort of a drop in the bucket as far as our total production, but, um, we're buying, um, for the landscape and yes, farm spears about 45 or 50,000 pounds of New York state malt a year. And, um, we're hopeful that that has a real impact on the maltster and consequently the farmer. Um, and so, um, you know, we're, we're, We're very excited with the series to be creative in a box to sort of, um, you know, see what the ingredients have to offer and then build beers around them.
2: Yeah. Gio, have you seen, or Mike, have you seen uh, some of the the farms or the processes that you work with? Have you seen them improve and change uh, since you've been working with them?
6: I'll let Gio take that, but yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, I've been up to Dennis's Malt House uh, maybe twice now. And I mean, in that short period of time, there was changes. He was putting in a new silo for storage, and uh, which is huge because he was just storing barley in super sacks, which was probably pretty yeah. tough.
2: Uh, I, w- I was there just when he opened in like early 2016. so
6: <laughs> Yeah, so uh, he's come a long, a real long way. Um, and then as, as far as hops go, uh, you know, we're actually active members of the hop quality group, which is kind of an international consortium of, well, I guess it's mostly, I guess there's a couple of UK brewers that are members as well, but an international consortium of brewers that, uh, meet and promote hop quality, uh, to hop farmers and brokers and, uh, you know, with, the, with like the main mission statement that hops are a food product. And uh, so we got the opportunity to tour and kind of audit some farm and processing uh, facilities this year in New York, which was great. Uh, and, you know, I went to one spot that, you know, I made a couple of suggestions and then went back for selection and they had already changed them. So they were taking things very seriously. And, they're they're very interested in providing us with the highest quality products that they can, which is always great to see.
2: What, what, what's a, a basic change that a, like a hop grower or processor can make to, to, to take that next step to, to be able to sell to you?
6: A hard saying, not knowing, you know, like everyone's a little bit different. Um, So a lot of stuff, like a lot of common things we see in processing facilities is, you know, we want to see more magnets or we want to see covered conveyance. You know, we want to see, you know, signage around, uh, you know, like food, like as if it's a food processing facility, uh, you know, covered, um, you know, if there's chains on the picker, we want to see those caged in. So it keeps the workers safe, you know, just a lot of stuff like that just to, uh, promote safety for, for the farmers and the workers of the farm as well as safety from a food processing perspective. Uh, yeah. So just, it's typically a lot of little things, you know,
3: I mean, we're looking for the same thing in New York state ingredients as we are, um, in ingredients from, uh, from Europe or the Yakima Valley and that's, that's quality and consistency. And, um, <clears throat> um, as the, as the farm bill has allowed, um, some people to, uh, to really grow their operations and become viable businesses, um, the equipment has gotten better. Uh, the knowledge sharing has gotten, um, a lot better and, uh, you know, <laughs> 14 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, there, there were, there were farmers, you know, who were dropping off wet hops in a garbage bag and, and, and <laughs> sort of asking you to brew a beer with them. And we weren't quite sure what they, um, what they were. And, uh, there, there's some of that still, but, um, I, it, the industry, um, with regard to hops and malt has in new york has grown by leaps and bounds and other states like michigan are really 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 um um have their share of, of world-class facilities
2: yeah mike you're a real pro um where did you start and tell us a little bit more about your career um
3: i started brewing at uh gang um I was there. Uh, I held a couple positions in production and then uh, I kind of did uh, what Geo does now there for a couple years. Um, at the end, I was there for about 10 years. Um, I'd known Jeff O'Neill for uh, quite a while, uh, brewed some collaborations with him through Omega Gang and um, knew him from BCTC and uh, knew him as so many of us do. Um, and, uh, you know, we talked. Kind of early on about uh, industrial arts, and I was fortunate enough to be employee number one. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure, um, and I feel very fortunate to work with people like Jeff and and Geo, both Jeffs.
2: That's great, man. And Jeff, I know you're from way back in Kingston when you worked at Keegan's, and then you went out west. Where, where were you working for a few years? Yeah. So I started at Keegan's when I was in high
6: school, <laughs> D- dream job. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, so, you know, I did 11, 11 years there, almost 12 and then uh, went out to Colorado to Fort Collins to work for New Belgium Brewing Company, uh, spent some time there in the cellar in the wood cellar and then opened up, they opened up like a little auxiliary pilot in Denver in a hotel in, downtown Denver so I uh, pretty much managed that small 10 barrel system and not too long after that uh, felt it was kind of time to move back east and you know as Mike and many of us have known Jeff anyone in the New York beer scene uh, from the early days definitely know who knew who Jeff was so uh, you know he was obviously so we've always we've always kind of been in communication anyway, and said he had an opportunity for me back home. So uh, you know, I packed my bags and headed back east.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, Jeff, Jeff O'Neill's legacies. I mean, to me, that's like the whole arc in New York State beer, right? It's like from Ithaca Flower Power IPA and then Peak Scale, and just kept winning all the best best awards. Um, we love his beer, so I'll tell you a funny story. I remember it was must have been 4 years ago around Memorial Day weekend like 2017. I had, I had on the DeChicos. I had Joe and Chris Dichico on. And I asked Joe a funny question. I said, "Joe, Memorial Day weekend, what are your top skews?" And he and he said, "Well, number 1 was Ray's to, Rayo's tomato sauce in the can." And I said, <laughs> "Oh, I said, "But what about beer?" <laughs> and he mentioned a couple of the mainstream beers because it was a holiday weekend, but then he said the number 1 Craft beer he was selling was um, Industrial Arts Wrench, and I, it, my eyes opened up and I was like, "Wow!" Because they're you know they're a big retailer, so um, that's a great story too. I tell you what, we're going to take a short break. We'll come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about IPAs and state of the art, and and talk with Phil about um, craft malt as well on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.
1: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. In Wisconsin, cheese is our thing. Wisconsin is the only state in the country that requires a license to make cheese. From curds to cheddar, blue to brick, Wisconsin cheesemakers can do it all. We blend tradition with innovation to create an incredible variety of cheeses that you just can't get anywhere else. You've heard of a PhD, but have you heard of a PH cheese? otherwise known as the Wisconsin Master Cheesemaker Program. This rigorous study of cheese is an elite accomplishment earned by only 80 talented cheesemakers in Wisconsin, and the program is only one of two in the world. Becoming a master cheesemaker takes 13 years and is basically like a doctorate in a specific variety of cheese with intense requirements to succeed. Our Master Cheesemaker Program allows makers to perfect both the art and science of their craft in a tradition so rich you can taste it. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com.
2: Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Become a member and support us at heritageradionetwork.org. And you've heard sadly about the loss of our our dear friend and colleague, Ann Saxelby, you can support uh, the An Saxby Legacy Fund in her honor. Go to www.slowfoodnyc.org/saxby. And uh, we are really um, saddened by her loss. But again, you can support the San- Anne Saxby Legacy Fund at Slow Food USA. So we're talking about source and local ingredients. Uh, Mike and, and Geo from Industrial Arts. Um, I want to. We were just talking about the IPA and the legacy of Jeff O'Neill. Um, Does the -the state-of-the-art series kind of have have some of that for you guys? I I noticed – talk about Jeff's friends, John Siegel and Siegel Hop Ranch. I noticed one of your state-of-the-arts features hops from Siegel Hop Ranch. (laughs) Yeah, I
6: mean, John has become a a good friend of us all. Uh, You know, we love his hops, so uh, we love supporting him, and he had this experimental that – we rubbed on the table and it, uh, it smelled like grape. It was super interesting. And, you know, we wanted to make a couple beers for a few hop suppliers out there, um, utilizing some of their, uh, varieties. And, uh, John was definitely one of them. I think it was 25, 24. We used in a, in a pale ale, well, basically, a, we put it in a tools of the trade, malt bill and just subbed, Subbed his experimental hop, um.
2: and for our listeners who don't know, sorry, John Siegel, his dad, is Siegel Hop Ranch, it's like third generation. Originally a New York State hop producer, um, way back I think in the sixties or seventies, they they were one of the first to develop the Cascade hop, and it was used in the Anchor um, Liberty Ale. So there's a lot of history in in that brand. Um, yeah, so tell us how this this state of the art beer with, with the Siegel Hop Ranch hops um uh that was yeah pale ale
6: um that we dry hopped with uh an experimental variety that we just that that rubbed really nice and we like the aroma and it's uh in the beer it turned out super delicate and nuanced and we're pretty happy with it
3: we also made uh uh we made two beers um two wet hop beers this year uh, one with Chinook from uh, Weathertop Farms um, in New York and another uh, very similar, um, very similar malt bill we made with uh, some wet hops from Siegel Ranch as well. And both of those beers presented really differently. Um, John, we just had lunch with John on Friday. John, John comes by Garnerville. He always brings, uh, about a hundred sandwiches from, uh, an Ita- <laughs> from an Italian deli around the corner. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, we, we laugh and enjoy a couple beers and we just happened to be packaging this, uh, uh, Washington wet hop beer, um, last Friday. So we all had the opportunity to, to drink it together. And I think, um, uh, both both Chinook versions, the New York version and the and the Washington version made excellent um, individual beers. and um, it's something we'd like to explore a little more. Um, the local variation uh, of, of of different varieties versus what you what people have come to expect from these varieties from Washington and Oregon and Idaho. Wow
5: oh, man. Hey Kevin, have you had that new state of the arts yet? I haven't. No, no. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking, just hearing about this, uh, industrial wet hop beer. I'm, I'm excited uh, to, to see that and try that. Yeah. Hey, Phil, let's go back. To, let's go to craft malt. Um, let's do it. it seems that
2: hops is, is on everybody's, you know, label, <laughs> you know, we just, we just talked about experimental hop and a beer that was made with it. Um, wh- wh- where's craft malt, you know, or, 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 are we putting the the names of the malts or the source of the grain on labels? And where, where are you going? Where's the Craft Maltsters Guild going with everything? It's a really good question.
4: So, uh, yeah, I've, I've personally had the pleasure, and Mainstem has had the pleasure as a business of, I would say, being, being a second wave craft maltster. So being able to, like, come in at a time where, the the first waiver is like I would say you know Riverbend Malt and in um, in Asheville and and like Valley Malt in Hadley Massachusetts like they've they they took care of them and others took care of a lot of the the really beastly challenges like uh, figuring out how to train craft maltsters and and uh, and also establish like a way for malt to craft maltsters to st- send malt away and get uh, both grain and malt away and get uh, certificates of analysis um, within the country. And anyways, a lot of, a lot of great things that we didn't have to solve ourselves, but then um, this is like circa uh, we started planning main stem back in 2014 and plugged in pretty quickly to the, uh, the craft Maltsters guild. And I guess, over the years, it's always you know the, the years since it's it's felt like man, craft mold is just such an obvious thing to take off. People love supporting local agriculture at like the farmers market. People understand like you know agriculture is this 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 thing that um, you know it's it's uh, it's complicated. It's largely industrialized and centralized and that we have a role to play in the products we purchase to like bring bring sourcing back home Uh, but then you have like the craft beer industry at large an artisan industry that really just it was built on the backs of of uh of like really large malt houses so uh all of that that switch uh to like to have craft brewers and also distillers like um getting to the point where they are buying substantial amounts of malt from local to regional craft maltsters is taken longer than, than I anticipated for sure. Uh, but it's also like, I understand it. It makes a lot of sense that it's, it, it, it has been a, you know, that the transition would take time. I would say COVID, the initial reaction was, oh my gosh, like amongst craft maltsters, was, oh my gosh, we were like, finally, finding our stride and like really some substantial success stories out in the marketplace. And, and like, and then we get hit by this pandemic and all the, all the brewers just shut down, like all the most likely customers for craft maltsters like small, uh, smaller scale breweries that aren't locked into narrow margin retail situations. uh, Yeah. All of them were shut down. And so, yeah, we felt at first, like, uh, this is going to set us back. A ways, but it pretty quickly turned into a very like, well, first off, people started saying like every you know, average consumers now know the word supply, ch- the word supply chain. And understand, <laughs> <laughs> understand that like this is a complex thing that, that is like causing causing a bunch of people that they know problems, uh, business owners uh, and and you know whatever hospitals or uh, and so that was one big advantage for us through COVID is that learning experience about supply chains and the other was this really substantial need to support community and use beer and spirits as a way to support community. So, um, and and craft malt really is when you strip out, strip away all the layers of it, it's about making these connections at a, at a more local scale. So, uh, yeah, I guess, um, I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, there are more people than ever just like reaching out to us about, about, uh, malt purchasing, getting an order in and just asking questions. And so that's yeah, that's that's a that's a an emerging dynamic. We hear it like you know, with my Craft maltsters Guild hat on. I hear it from a lot of different maltsters that it's just crazy trying to keep up with business right now. So, um, as far as getting malt on the labels, uh, that's happening too. The Craft Monsters Guild has a seal program now. Uh, the Craft Malt uh, Certified Seal, and so we have basically brewers are able to put a. Uh, you know, a logo on their cans if they use more than ten percent craft malt. Uh, it has to be like you know, a, a member malt maltster for uh, within the guild, and and then they can also uh, celebrate their brewery or distillery as a a craft malt certified brewery or distillery if they use over ten percent or ten percent or more in their, um, their brewery or distillery wide malt bills. So, uh, that's kind of cool. It gives, gives folks a pretty easy way to plug in and, and show support for this movement.
2: Yeah. And, and isn't the, um, the craft malt conference, it's going to be up Northeast this year, right? Up in
4: Maine. That's correct. Portland, Maine. And it's uh, mid to mid to late February. It'll be in two, two different chunks an in person, uh, and in person, uh, one week and then, um, and then, Uh, that'll be just a a few days and then uh, there'll be a week pause and then, and then there'll be a virtual conference with uh, not just repackaged, but, uh, but new, new talks. And then also the, the uh, in-person talks will be available to view. So uh, yeah, pretty exciting. We we did not have an in-person conference last year uh, or this, this year rather. And, and so it'll be good to get back. We try to tour as a, as a community, um, this conference lands in different host cities that have a thriving craft malt and craft beer and spirits scene. So, uh, Portland, Maine, is a is an exciting one, and and so yeah, yeah. We, and you got
2: you know, Blue Ox Malt House is up there. And I, totally. sat, I sat I sat on some of the breakout sessions for the craft malt conference uh, this earlier this year, and it was some good conversations. Hey, um, before Mike and Jeff, before I ask you more about malt, I want to ask Kevin. Kevin, do you always. One one reason you're on is you always have the best questions. Um <laughs> what, what what's on your list cuz I I'm sure you want to ask about certain beers. Well,
5: well yeah, I mean I, I actually uh, wanted to ask a little bit more about malt. Um and it, to me it's one of, the, you know, it's just such fascinating ingredient, so different than the, the other four, you know, the other three um base ingredients because you know, you start with this raw ingredient and then you know it, it doesn't just go straight to the brewery; it goes to a maltster, right? You've got you've got the grower, and then you've got the maltster before um, the brewer uses it for their beer. And to me, that that's you know interesting; it makes it unique. You've got these different skilled people that are uh, you know working on this ingredient before it's used in the beer. So I'm I'm curious, like from Phil's perspective, and also from Mike and Geo's perspective, like where do we need to go, or what needs work, um, you know, to to keep Keep improving malt for brewers in 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 the beer industry. Here is it. Is there more of an issue getting farmers to grow like good quality grain, or is it do we need like more skilled maltsters um, that are cranking out you know good stuff for brewers to use? Good question. Good question. (laughs) Who (laughs) wants to go first? Gio. or
4: I'll take a first crack at it. Uh, I, I guess. Stepping back a little bit, agriculture at large has sort of – it's split into two modes, kind of small, really small-scale localized uh, production and like growing and processing of things. And then uh, like mega-scale centralized, um, you know, uh, largely – uh, large region or global, uh, extent. So there's like a, there's a really big void in the middle for, for capacity to like efficiently get crops like malting barley or other, other malting suitable grains, um, grown, stored, pre-processed in this case, malted, uh, and and like, and delivered at the right times that customers would need it. um, That's, that's, there's a, there's a lot there. And so storage capacity becomes really important. So a farmer, it's fairly easy to find a grower to, to grow malting barley, I think in, in most, in most states. uh, And, and in a lot of states, there's a decent enough chance that you'd get a good quality. But like the trick of, of, of um, then kind of uh, the commodity market just sucks up crops as soon as they leave the field, by and large. But but uh, specialty industry like craft malting or malting in general, uh, you really need to like take that grain out of the hot seat, get it into storage. Uh, often that happens on farm. Uh, you know, you get it assessed for quality, you set up a delivery schedule for when, you know, when that's going to be sent off to go get cleaned, typically cleaning for craft mulsters right now is not handled on at the malt house. So it's like this other step. And so there's trucking involved. And, uh, and, and so, um, there's a lot of these like relatively straightforward, seemingly simple, uh, Obstacles or or uh, infrastructure pieces that that just need to be built out, Uh, and until we get them built out, it's like you have maltsters storing, um, as I think uh, Geo or or it was Geo or Mike said it, but uh, yeah, yeah, maltsters storing like raw grains in super sacks, like large amounts of super sacks, uh, and and which is problematic and at the very least uh, awkward. And, and, and when you're like, until you overcome that, then prices are like, it costs a lot. It costs a lot to, to turn grain into malt when you're doing it um, awkwardly. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's like this, uh, this balance of kind of getting kind of the industry craft malt picking itself up enough to where it has something to offer, not perfect. And then having folks like, industrial arts that are willing to say, yeah, you know, we have high standards, but we also want to be part of like this, um, this process of, of, of building out new solutions to make this more viable. And yeah. then you, yeah, you, you dance around for years and then eventually you have a, you have a bona fide industry.
2: No, it's great to see, you know, where you guys are at. Mike or Gio, do you want to say anything else about, um, that question about malt? Um, What what Phil said regarding storage, I think, is
3: really important. So um, with some of our local maltsters, we've seen um, a real change in their uh, mentality and and, and really uh, additional storage has allowed them to sort of sleep at night um, uh, because they can get um, malt in a bin that was designed to hold malt and keep it at the proper moisture and temperature. And um, that allows them to sort of uh, hold true to the promises they've kept to the farmers. Um, you know, I, I, I would point to one thing this year that happened um, this past growing season. So we, we um, in, in making these landscape beers, we, we'd grown a particular affinity to uh, locally grown six row malt. And that sort of steered the production of uh, really drinkable, um, balanced, true to style, Sort of continental style beers. Um, It was nearly impossible for us to get six row malt in New York um, uh, just recently because of, uh, you know, in in some parts of the state, we had 21, 22 days of rain straight uh, before harvest. Um, Storage allowed um, uh, Dennis, our our partner at at Hudson Valley, Valley, malt to, to hedge and to, and to have plenty of excellent two row stored in order for us to keep making these beers. So I think that is um, a really important piece. Um, I think also uh, some of the, the people involved in um, making sure the property, proper quality control happens. Uh, Hartwick college has done a great job in their beverage center um, and um, and uh, making sure that uh, everybody's on the same page about what grows well here, what should grow here, um, and and the difference between feed barley and malting barley. Yeah, that's great,
2: and that's Aaron McLeod, right? I think he's left Hartwick, um, but they're still doing a great job. Oh, that's great! Hey, I just I heard some cans opening. Uh, <laughs> who who has beers besides the great uh, the fall landscape uh i got i actually just cracked our
6: that one of those uh, new york state smash lager we did uh i think it was actually the last of the dennis's six row um we did a smash logger with all <clears throat> excuse me hudson valley six row and crystal uh Came out lovely. It was actually, I think, Mike, right? It was your concept. You were mowing the lawn one day and just sent Jets and I a ping. And we're like, <laughs> uh, this beer seems like, I remember you just being like, right, we were talking about another lager, and you were like, I don't know. This is the beer I want right now.
3: <laughs> and then, yeah, <laughs> know, th- three months later, we made it. Yeah,
2: but, uh... So, Mike, what what did you pin? Yeah, what did you ping? If You, you have this concept of a beer did you communicate what it was going to be i mean
3: um a, a frequent thing that home brewers do um or i guess always have done in order to test ingredients is, is make a smash beer and that's single malt single hop um you know a lot of what geo does uh is is test out ingredients um, use different malt and hop combinations that we really like um I really like crystal hops and I like a beer with a very clean Pilsner malt base. It's, it's what a lot of our beers are built on. And, uh, I thought it might be really nice to just use this beautiful six row pills and these sort of lemony, um, slash, uh, herbal, uh, crystal hops. And, um, I don't know. That's overstating the case. It's not uh it was no epiphany I had. I, I was just thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: let's, let's get, that was good. Kevin, you got, you got one more time for one more question.
5: Well, I mean, I, I don't know if it's necessarily the question, but I, I think it, this kind of speaks to, to balance. And I think that's one of the things that I appreciate about Mike, uh, you know, and what you're doing and, and everybody that you have under you there is, is striking balance, right? And so doing like a smash beer, you know we look for balance a lot of us look for balance. maybe not everybody, some people some people like I don't know crazy stuff, but um, that's not necessarily what I'm looking for necessarily. so um but with a smash beer it's it's hard when you're when you're dealing with one malt one hop, how to 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 skillfully be able to execute a beer um, that's balanced, right and then and then in particular to do it from like one geographic area like to do it just from New York State. Um that, that's a challenge and that takes that takes a lot of skill and I think it demonstrates um you know, again, skill skill from these brewers and it's awesome to see industrial arts uh that you know doing that and you know I, I hope to see more you know, I, I'm in New York so maybe I'm a little biased, but I hope to see more New York breweries um, doing it because it's it's you know it's super enjoyable and uh, you know, you kinda of feel good. You feel good cracking these beers and knowing that it's something that's from your area and it's supporting not just the breweries, but you know, the monsters, the farm, you know, the farmers and, and everybody else. Um, so n- not really questioned, but um, just something that, you know, as a, as a customer uh, you know, is exciting to see. Thanks, Kevin. And, and Gio, what, what's it like working
2: on these beers? I mean, what, what size system do you work on for your R and D and uh, what, what's another beer that's really made you really proud of, of the work you do?
6: Uh, we actually do 25 hectoliter R&D batches. Uh, so, you know, as Mike's, Mike said, we opened our spot in Beacon, which is pretty much turned into our production space. Uh, our Garnerville location will be primarily uh, R&D projects. Um, yeah, this smash beer was great to make. We made what I called a land beer... <laughs> Which is the vaguest mm-hmm. term for a beer ever? So I took extreme liberty with it and uh, <laughs> did a double dry hop lager with all New York ingredients. Um, I was really happy with the way that came out, uh, consider considering how kind of abstract of a concept it was. Um, but-
5: I'll just jump in and say, I think, you know, one of the key things to me is, is just, like you said, it's local ingredients, right? So land beer, it speaks to the land of that region. I mean, there's this idea that it should be like rustic or, and things like that, which is, it's fine. it's a nice story to tell. Um, But, but, you know, I think a land beer should, should have like some terroir to it. Right. And um, so I think you guys are kind of, you know, nailing it by doing it that way and letting these um, ingredients with their, their regionality. Right. I mean, these hops and you know the grain it's it's going to have some characteristic about its region uh that makes it different than if it were grown in another area so uh you know it's it's awesome to see to see that and and so in terms of it being a land beer i think you know you guys did a great job thanks kevin i
3: appreciate your deference kevin because uh we had many discussions about uh about how a land beer was, uh, <laughs> a big, oily, <laughs> extremely <laughs> hoppy, uh, <laughs> it was a very, very pleasant beer. And, uh, I think Geo knocked it out of the park, but, uh, some purists would, uh, would certainly disagree. Well, you,
2: you got all those fun German beers, you know, <laughs> land beers, Vickle, Keller beer, you know, I guess yeah. you can have, you can take liberties. Wow. It's so great talking to you guys. And, um, you know, Craft Malt Conference is, is coming to Northeast. I'm very excited. I'm going to be there. It's like February 18th and 19th. I know Allagash is is kind of a big part of it being there and Blue Blue Ox Malt House up in Maine. You wouldn't really think of it if you haven't heard of them, mm-hmm. but um, it, it's it's really exciting. And Phil, thanks for talking about this. You're the second wave of craft malt. I do remember when Valley Malt was just starting and, and it was, it was 2014. I mean, literally... She had, we had 20 New York state breweries making a batch of beer with her, with malt that was from New York and had to be malted in Massachusetts <laughs> back then. I remember Jeff O'Neill was like, made something amazing, but he also was like, basically said that, it, he, that you know, he was not ready to, to brew with the, the local malts yet. Um, so thanks for bringing us up to date. And um, Mike, and Jeff, so wait, Mike, last thing. So, is the landscape beer that's like landscapers because it's loggers and it's lawnmowers? I mean,
3: is that no, where that came from?
2: <laughs> no, um, but no, I could I could see
3: that. I mean, it's sort of uh so the the each label features a local artist. Um and that 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 series has been the same artist. Um Ursula, her name is, and she she works at the Garnerville, um uh, the Garnerville Arts and Industrial Center. Um, so I, you know, landscape, uh, is meant to evoke, uh, you know, the landscape of New York uh, the, the place we're from.
4: I love the physical and social landscape elements that you guys uh, talk about on the, on the website too, that, that there's a, yeah, it's a, it's a really elegant way to, to get at that, that dynamic, those dynamics.
3: I think Kevin, Kevin just put it better than I did.
2: <laughs> I that was, oh, but I think I think you're <laughs> oh, right, man. It's to say it's profound. And um, well thanks so much again. Um, thanks everybody. Thanks to our engineer Armin Spengen. And um, let's go through the list. Mike, Geo, Phil, and Kevin. Thanks for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, thanks so much, guys. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast.